nation It's a kind of a family Wherever I roam, a Fenway home That's where I long to be I'm a member of a Red Sox nation It's a kind of insanity Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity I fake a smile November until opening day Suffering baseball withdrawal around the clock When April comes, hey, meet me down on Yawkey Way That's when Red Sox Nation starts rock I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast, as always, can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, literally everywhere. We are really widely available. You can click the iTunes link up above the Periscope window here. And if you do, uh, rate us, review us. We love that. It helps immensely and only takes a couple of seconds. Uh, Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Tampa Bay Rays. And I shit you not, they swept the Rays, a first-place team, finally showing life, and uh, the first series win of the year as well, obviously. I am Terry Cushman, and I'm joined, as always, by Jeremy Schilling. Jeremy, how are you? Fucking wonderful. (laughs) All right. Uh, I mean, we got Bruins, Sox, Celts. I mean, today was just honestly awesome. The Bruins Uh, won today? Jesus Christ, Terry. I'm a baseball yes, guy. One today. Okay. All right. Game seven, Tuesday night, 7 p.m. at the Garden. All you right. Know, so it's going to be awesome. Electric you're, factory. You're not the first person to refer to me as Jesus, by the way, either. Uh, also uh, joining us tonight, uh, first appearance on the show. You can find him on the Into the Triangle Red Sox podcast. Al Nahigian, how are you? I'm good, Terry. Jeremy, thanks for having me on. Glad to be a part of the podcast. Let's get into some Sox talk. Absolutely. Well, before we do, why don't you, uh, you know, tell us where you're from, you know, what type of uh, media you do, and and so on and so forth. Yeah, for sure. So, I'm Al Nahigian. I am from the North Shore of Massachusetts, a little town called Saugus, Massachusetts. For anybody that follows, Jared Carabas, same hometown as him. Uh, right now, as far as for other stuff that I do, getting a master's in education to become an elementary school teacher, coach baseball around the North Shore. For media stuff, I write for CouchGuySports.com. As Terry just said, I also co-host Into the Triangle with Jared Scally on Couch Guy Sports Network. And I also do an independent podcast with my buddy Tom Powder Cadmus called Legends Lingo. You can find us on Twitter at Lingo Legends, and you can also... Find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. So feel free to give Legends Lingo and Into the Triangle follows, subscriptions, anything else you want. Absolutely. And uh, we'll encourage everyone to do so. Jeremy, why don't you go ahead and uh, take us through a quick recap? So, uh, obviously, a series that 
we're now that we're on the other side of it is just totally different going into it um especially myself uh this seemed like the doom and gloom the way the the devil rays were playing uh they in game two they actually wore the throwback devil rays uh unis which i thought was a certain death nail uh, but we swept and with game one uh erod uh wasn't great wasn't terrible gave us a chance to win which with this starting rotation outside of price seems like the the barometer between good and bad so if that's the barometer he gave us a chance to win he was okay um this was a game where you got to know the double raise a little bit if you haven't been following they actually start with a reliever it was stanick in game one uh, Yarbrough, who I thought had done his job relatively and, and may have been in a little bit uh, too long. Uh, Vasquez here hit the huge home run. And you could tell, um, especially in hindsight now that we've seen the whole series, how big it was. He, he showed a ton of emotion um, hitting that home run. Uh, notwithstanding that, uh, the bullpen played a factor here. Uh, Workman was very good. Two base on balls over one and two-thirds. Uh, Betts and Moreland went back to back to win this, and Brazier got his fourth save. Sox win six to four. Game two was Porcello uh, again, in, in with the new barometer being uh, gave us a chance to win or not. He did five and two thirds, two earned, uh, lowered his ERA <laughs> to eight point four seven. Sorry, didn't mean to laugh there. X Astro uh, from uh, last year. Morton, uh, six innings, five earned, wasn't great. Uh, the, he gave up the big grand slam to Benintendi, Oppo Taco, which to me is a sign that Benintendi's about getting himself ready to go on a streak here because that home run it was legit. Uh, Oppo in the power alley, just really, really impressive swing uh, coming off Leon's greatest offensive accomplishment in two years with the base on uh, with a hits bat, uh, hit batsman there on the foot. Um, also, Benintendi chipping in with the sack fly in the ninth inning. Um, the, the, a lot of people are going to remember this game for the heart attack ninth with Brazier. Uh, ultimately, Vasquez picked off, I think it was Fam to Pierce on a pre-called play before the pitch. A uh, really good, uh, Al, you said you're a baseball coach. Uh, I played baseball uh, in college and coached for a year myself. That's the sort of stuff that gets baseball people all sorts of geeked up. Great play. Um <laughs> Uh, uh, just an awesome throw by Vasquez. Really showed impressive just pop time, arm strength, timing, everything in that play. Obviously, again, he showed a ton of emotion. So you could tell that this team needed these plays to happen, and they're ready to get on a, a hot streak, which we're going to hopefully get into. Um, also, final note on this one. Uh, Ch uh, Chavis called up, um, was put in a spot to, hit a, to pinch hit, and hit a ball that pretzeled one of the absolute best center fielders in Kevin Kiermeyer. I mean, I, I've, he was doing like uh, uh, like some sort of dance I do with my three-year-old daughter when we're like twirling. Uh, <laughs> looked stupid, but big moment for the rookie, and uh, that, that was kind of cool, especially for Terry, who only talks about, um, uh, you know, minor <laughs> leaguers. So 6-5 Sox. Going into game three, Price, our only basically effective starting pitching, Five innings, five hits, two earned, 10 Ks. Uh, again, gave us a chance to win, so he was good. Against Glass now, who has been the surprise of the young Major League season. Um, the real story here to me, and I think we're going to probably talk about this a little bit, but five and a third, two win. 
two earned. Uh, he was only on the mound for the home run to Moreland, who, again, has been really good. Mookie hit a routine single where the second baseman should have been in a, in a, in a uh, standard defensive infield alignment. Cash pulled him, and he showed a ton of emotion from the bullpen. The Nesson broadcast highlighted this. Really confusing. I was totally blown away by the whole situation. Uh, anyways, uh, like I said, we may get into that. We may not. Workman and Colton Brewer were really good in this game. Barnes gave up the home run in the eighth, which I'm just going to leave to Terry because he's all excited to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> into extras we go. JBJ with uh, a throwback, uh, really technically sound, um, you know, sacrifice bunt there. It was just barely thrown out. And then Vasquez hit a hit just an absolute piss missile to center. More than enough to score, uh, I think it was Devers on the sack fly. Brazier was really good. Again, he, third outing in a row. He threw a lot of pitches in game two, but they called upon him, and he was great. Um, I love his demeanor in the ninth. Six saves. Sox win in 11 innings, 4-3. to three. Very good. Very good. And uh, with that, we will get into what we used to call shout-outs and call-outs, but due to the excessive flubbing of the name throughout the segment, we are going to try to go with Heroes and Zeros. So, Jeremy, go ahead and lead us off with your hero. Vasquez. He played with emotion the whole series, had big moment after big moment, um, the home run against... um, Yarborough in game one, uh, the big play in game two, a throwing out fam to win the game on that pick play. Uh, and then the, um, the sack fly on a ball down in a way that could have been a swing and miss, could have been a foul ball, could have been a, could have been a, gro- a routine ground ball into the infield. Really put a good swing on it. I thought he's been awesome. Um, and it's also highlighted by... The Swihart thing, which we, we're not going to get into because we delved into it pretty deep last podcast, but with the uncertainty at the position and using uh, Swihart as a scapegoat, you'd think that maybe Vasquez would tighten, and that it, the exact opposite has happened. He has been an absolute spark plug. Um, I, I really strongly think that he um, he had an effect on, on maybe even winning the series versus losing it. He was really, really good. Um, uh, and again, with now it being Leon, uh, who offers nothing, uh, his best offensive moment again came on that hit by pitch where he just left his toe out enough. Um, <laughs> uh, he is easily your best offensive option at the catcher position. Uh, so for me, it's Vasquez. It's a clear Vasquez and, um, I'm really excited. Hopefully he's getting three of the five starts through the rotation and uh, he has a, he has an op- an opportunity, I think, to solidify that position. And he probably will. I mean, I they'll probably save Leon for Sale and Porcello. And uh, I don't. Well, we'll probably get into it a little later. Porcello did look very good this time out. Um, you know, with Leon. So whether or not that was the difference, who knows? But um, but good enough. Don't get me. Don't get me started on that, please. Well, I'm just saying it's uh... the, the, the fact. If Porcello is sitting at home right now in Boston in his bed, going, "I pitched well because of Leon," then honestly, 
I've had it with Porcello. He's on an expiring contract. If that's if the if management feels that that's his mindset, that it's Leone and not himself somehow, move him for any asset. I'm done if that's the mindset. I'm absolutely done with that. Well, I mean, it's a thing. We've seen it in the past. We've seen it postseason after postseason. And, I mean, I, I get that you agree with it. It's very well noted. Feel free to keep noting it. But, you know, I value game calling. The Red Sox rotation values game calling. And apparently the organization agrees because Swihart very well could have been our best catcher. I, I think your call-out of Christian Vasquez is extremely appropriate here, especially picking off Tommy Pham at the end of uh, game uh, two there. But he is a 208 hitter, and that's not going to be as good as Blake Swihart. And Swihart wasn't that bad defensively, you know, until he was DFA'd. So, you know, so. I agree, but Vasquez is good. called Heroes. <laughs> Vasquez, you know, is good. And like I said, it was appropriate. But circumstantially, whether we agree with whatever. You know, Porcello was was much better with Leon, and it, it was like night and day. It was so. So for now, you know, we'll we'll just have to see. But um, go ahead, Al. Who is your hero this series? We lose Al. Looks like we lost Al. <laughs> no, nah, I'm here. Okay. I'm here. Oh, I'm here. Fake out. Fake out. Building suspense. Al, smart. Smart lead in. Of course. <laughs> All right. So I'm guessing we're doing uh, shout your, out or whatever. Your is, hero. Right? Yeah. Who is it? My hero. All right. So my hero is going to be who Jeremy talked about a little bit earlier. It's going to be David Price. The fact that Price is just pitching well enough right now where he's the only starter that the Red Sox can depend on. It's kind of mind-boggling considering everybody this season was so hyped for the Red Sox starting rotation. But lately, in his last two starts, I mean, David Price has pitched 12 innings, only given up eight hits with two runs, both of them earned, two walks, 17 strikeouts. I mean, this guy is giving you a legitimate chance to win every fifth day when he takes the ball. So especially in this race series where they needed starting pitching going up against three starting pitchers that have done well to start the season, and they didn't even face Blake Snell in this series, which is shocking to think about. So that's why I got Price up there for my hero. Uh, yeah, good choice. And, you know, his numbers would be a little shinier had he not given up that home run uh, in his last inning pitched against the uh, A's in, I think that was his second start. Or no, that was his first start because they had to bump him to the back of the rotation. So um, yeah, because he was ill. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so very good uh, start to the year for him. And he's doing about what I expected. He's been fairly solid. He's had some slow starts in previous years, you know, with the Red Sox, especially his first year. But typically he ends up being one of your more consistent guys down the stretch. So not really one that I've been worried about all along. And with all this chaos, I'm sure he's not thrilled with it, you know, with the rough start and whatever. But... But for once, the pressure and the attention is not on him for some type of controversy or whatever. So, you know, he's doing his thing, and, and you know, I think that's best for everyone. Uh, my uh, hero this week, I'm going to go to the bullpen for this one, and that will be Marcus Walden. He got he recorded eight outs this series. Uh, six of them were today, and I was kind of wondering how Cora was going to play that because we were tied. And 
he Walden pitched the eighth, and then I saw Thornburg warming in the pen. I'm like, oh my goodness, please no, <laughs> we'll definitely lose. And I was just thinking to myself, where we're away, if you bring in Brazier at the bottom of, uh, excuse me, at the top of the ninth, and then we don't score, you know, it just, excuse me, yeah, I was right the first time, the bottom of the ninth, if we don't score, you know, in the in the top of the ninth, who the hell are we going to use in, in the 10th uh, inning when we go into extras? But Cora brought out uh, Walden for a second inning, and the guy has done pretty well. I was surprised he was DFA, uh, not DFA'd, optioned down to Pawtucket earlier in the week, uh, earlier last week, excuse me. I'm just tripping over myself right now. Because um, he, he had been pitching fairly well out of the bullpen, but not everybody has options, so that was probably part of it. He gets called back up, and his ERA is down to something like uh, 226 or something. I had it right here. Uh, oh, 253, but... On paper, he's one of the better relievers in the pen right now, and I'm kind of curious to see, you know, what becomes of him because he wasn't really on anybody's radar, you know, coming into the season, you know, as somebody who was going to be a high leverage guy anyway. So, uh, really impressed there, you know, six outs today. He got two uh, in game two. And uh, so uh, hopefully he'll be a contributor going forward and we'll, we'll see some consistency out of him. Uh, Walden, um, one of the things I like about him is his demeanor. I mentioned it in the recap with, with Brazier. I think the demeanor is a real big thing. Um, I think it's an indication about how they're internalizing the pressure. And uh, athletes that um, seemingly don't let the... the, the big moment get too big uh, that wasn't said well but um uh, and i like him i like his stuff I, and obviously cora does because he's putting him in these positions w- just quickly with um thornburg getting up um actually you know what he's i forgot he's my zero so well, i'm gonna wait on that well you're next up anyway with that so if you want to just go with it that's fine sure so my zero is thornburg uh, here's a guy we spent um, some assets to get. Uh, a huge he, asset. And I understand. I'm sorry. I said a huge asset, as it turned out. Travis Shaw. Yep. yep. <laughs> sorry, say that again? I said Travis Shaw. I was agreeing with you. you know, yeah, was, I mean, yeah, yeah. Painful. So uh, the mayor of Ding Dong City, as he's since been named, and he was a huge factor in the Brewers run last year. A guy I, by the way, really liked, and if he was still in the organization, just as a side note, he'd be our starting third baseman. Um, or or our starting first baseman, and we would have never seen Pierce. And we would not have re-signed Moreland. But anyways, he would have been an asset to this organization. He's turned into a really big, uh, uh, a really good major league player. So getting back to Thornbrook, who has done absolutely nothing. He got hurt. Understand it takes a long time to get back. I, I don't understand why he's on the roster other than they're waiting for him to make a contribution so they can say this trade wasn't as bad as it was. He got up in the in the 10th, and I tweeted, game over. Like, Thornburg's up, game over. I mean, that he's that he's been that bad. Thank, thankfully, they JBJ got the bunt down and then Vasquez hit the sack fly because then we were able to go to the closer, who was clearly Brazier. Um, 
this guy has offered absolutely nothing. And this is the thing that I talked about this last year with keeping the three catchers. And as a result, you know, having a de facto 24-man roster because Swihart got really no play last year. This year, it looks like it's going to be Thornburg. And for whatever reason, Dombrowski loves having a major hole on your 25-man roster. If you can't get this guy into this series where uh, Erod went less than everyone went less than six innings, so the the bullpen pitched what I think it was somewhere between ten and twelve innings with the extra innings. The fact that he he didn't pitch and you forced Brazier into three straight outings. It, again, we have a guy on the roster who's not contributing and making this a de facto twenty-four man roster. It doesn't make any sense. So I really don't understand what it is. Again, maybe Thornburg has like pictures of Dombrowski that he doesn't want someone finding out. I don't know. <laughs> but he's not contributing. And not only that, he has zero trust of Cora and zero trust of the organization. But he's healthy, clearly. So like I'm either missing something or the Red Sox aren't sharing something or Thornburg has pictures of somebody in management that are compromising because he offers nothing. They don't even... They didn't warn him up until he was the last warm him up until he was the last option. So I'm just I just don't understand it. This is partly a, an indictment on the way they handle the roster. So I guess you could throw Dombrowski into my zero, but my zero for this series is Thornburg, who didn't even pitch in the fucking series. Uh, just a note on him: he could eventually be the odd man out. I'm I'm looking at Travis Lakin's stat right now. He's a guy that I thought could make the opening day roster, but uh, he didn't, and then went on to struggle for a little bit in Pawtucket, but he's down to a 338 uh, average, and he had a scoreless inning streak for several appearances last year, so he has shown the potential, and if he starts to kind of rein that in, then I think he could he could finally come onto the roster, and Thornburg doesn't have any options hasn't shown us anything, like you said, just a complete bust. I think that could be the end for him because I had a similar tweet today, you know, when you said game over. I forget what I said, but um, but as I did that, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, what what kind of role is this guy for? You know, like, what... What can you do with Thornburg other than mop-up duty in a game that we're way behind? Like he, like you said, we're getting nothing out of him. And I, I think his days are probably numbered. If he's on this roster, what's today, April 21st? If he's on here by May 21st, I'll be shocked. He'll have to pitch really good between now and then to still be here, I would say. Well, to do that, they have to actually put him in a game. So. Yeah, Al, you want to jump in with your zero? Absolutely. Uh, so for my zero, and I think it's one that all three of us can agree on, Jackie Bradley Jr., he just continues to have a shitty start to his season. He is hitting 148. He has nine hits in 66. played a pair of 61 bats with two doubles. Not only is he not he's not hitting for any type of power, he's not hitting in the clutch in any situations is at bats look terrible. And as a coach and Jeremy, you can say this as a player and former coach, you hate to see his at bats because they just, he just looks lost. And this is a constant, constant discussion 
that everybody has every year about Jackie Bradley Jr. He hits for five games in a row. People says he's figured something out. People say that he has figured it out in spring training with a new swing, working with J.D. Martinez. Nothing works with this guy, and he continues to prove it, and he is an absolute zero. So, I like the end of that, too. That was with some force. He's an absolute zero. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. Here's the thing that just blows my mind with Jackie Bradley Jr. I think it's somewhat mental. And that's the hard part to understand because he goes through, what was it? He had that 33-game hit streak where he was the best hitter in baseball for a full month. I think it was like 2014 maybe, 2015. It might, it might have been 2016. It might yeah, have been okay. Well, yeah, so, but then he, he's, he, he, he I, I honestly don't even know how to like properly frame what I want to say because he, I, he becomes useless. It's And it's so confusing because... He'll like jam himself on pitches middle away, and it's like Jackie. I know you're like I know you want to get extended, but like, how are you jamming yourself when the pitch is is not middle in? Because his timing's all off, and he's looking for the wrong pitches in the wrong sequence. Because everybody goes by sabermetrics nowadays that they're not just thinking. Go up and look for a fastball and adjust. Now, granted, I know these MLB pitchers have four or five pitches, but if you're not sitting on a first pitch fastball especially in most at-bats, then you're doing something wrong. I don't care what level you're at, especially at the major league level. Well, that's the thing, too, because he's hitting ninth. So the big thing in, like, the last three or four years where uh, all of baseball generally at every level was if you fall behind, you get it, you get back into the count with your fastball. And if your bets are your Moreland or you're a middle-of-the-lineup guy, the big thing now is pitching backwards. So it's 2-0, and and you may be more apt to see a change-up or a get me over slider versus a fastball, and that is. But but that does not hold true when you're Jackie Bradley Jr. hitting ninth. I know. They're not. They're they're gonna challenge you in that spot. So that's the thing that's so confusing. Now, with all that said, right? I'm I'm just fucking done with this player, and oh and I'm and just just generally because it happens every goddamn year. So I'm just sick and tired of the Jackie Bradley swoon, and it and it's it's it's. Forever. And, and it, everyone loves his athleticism. And trust me, I love his athleticism. And he's a great defensive player. And he's got an absolute howitzer. Uh, except for the guy in Oakland. He might have one of the best throwing arms in baseball right now. But he just, he's, I'm sorry, center field, there's, there's enough athletes. And by the way, we have probably one of them in left that could do the job. But there's enough athletes in baseball that have good arms that offer you something near the major league average of OPS, which I think this uh, after last year is like 721. He just he sucks and he doesn't turn the lineup over. Well, here's the thing. I'm done with him. Here's the thing too, Jeremy and Terry. For so, for some of you guys to think about, since he came to the league in 2013, he in 2013. Granted, he only played in 37 games. But he had 95 bats and 31 strikeouts. That's once out of every three times. You want you want that as a small sample size? Let's look at two more years. Let's look at 2015. 2015, he had 221 at bats. He had 69 strikeouts. That's good for one out of every three or four at bats. And let's look, just look at this year so far. This year, he's had 61 at bats. He's striking out 19 times. So once again, he's striking out once out of every three or four play, once out of every three or four at bats. So it's not even like the guy's making, you know, hard contact and he's just getting unlucky. He's not even putting the ball in play half the time. And sometimes it gets to a really sad point 
where we're just up there praying to God that he puts the ball in play, but instead he's laid on a fastball. It's just sickening. And the really sickening part is that in spring training he hit 326. Now, granted, I know they're against a lot of pitchers that probably are in double A or single A right now, but it's amazing that he actually hit before the season even started. So that makes it even worse. He did that coming into, I think, the 2014 season. He was like, he was crushing it, hitting home runs off Cliff Lee in spring training that year and and made the opening day roster because of that. But, you know, the next two years he was kind of yo-yoing back between uh, Boston and Pawtucket. And you guys mentioned his streak. That was in 2016. I was a Bradley guy at the time, and that's one of my favorite parts of that season was just waiting for him to get a hit and and having the streak go. I think it actually ended at 28 or 29 games, but it was just so fun to watch. And I think a lot of us, including myself, thought his ceiling could be you know pretty high at the time. But much like you guys, I'm the same way. I'm just done with him. I've been done with him since early last season. And today, he he swung at a ball in the dirt in his next-to-last at-bat. It might have been the third out of the inning. It was really painful and just completely lost right now at the plate. But the question you have to ask yourself that the front office needs to ask themselves is, are we going to win more games with Bradley's defense or with another guy who's not quite as good defensively but has a more solid bat? Which one of those scenarios wins you more games? And I think it's the latter. I think we need some offense. Like the bottom third of our order, especially when Leon is, is in it, I mean, he's hitting zero right now. And I'm wondering if he, he'll ever get a hit. I think that's a valid question at this point. You know, if he's catching only two games a week or two out of every five, uh, I mean, knowing that you have two guys that are automatic outs in the bottom third is really painful. And if Bradley goes on a streak, I'm not going to, I'm going to be wanting him traded even more while his value is at least temporarily higher. And he's got another year left beyond this before he hits free agency, basically the same year as Mookie Betts. And I just slide Mookie over to center, uh, not Mookie, Benintendi over to center and just get a power hitting corner outfielder that uh, can play left and and mash a little bit is what I'd like to see. So I totally agree on you uh, with both you guys and to incorporate both of your points. And, and I think the, the last part about JBJ, we'd all be okay with the strikeouts if he hit for any power, if he had any run production. The strikeouts are not what they used to be as far as the value in being a high strikeout rate guy. I, I would literally care less if he hit 220 and hit 25 home runs and, and could find the way to produce 75 RBIs. But he's not hes not that. So he's just a strikeout guy that doesn't hit for power, doesn't hit for slug, it doesn't slug. I mean, <laughs> so he's just, it's just, and, and the strikeouts are just so frustrating because for whatever reason, he seems to be up in big spots all the time. So uh, a good, good zero. I mean, he's a zero. He's a zero by basically the year round. And, can, can, can we just move on from Jackie Bradley Jr.? I'm going to get yes. sick if I keep talking about this guy. He's going to make me physically sick. My zero, uh, and Jeremy's rooting for this, uh, actually campaigned for me to do it before we came on. Uh, it was extremely hard to pick somebody, especially when you sweep a series. I didn't want to go with this person. I scoured the box scores trying to 
come up with a solid case to um, call someone else out or as my zero. See, I flubbed it. At least right at the end, I flubbed it. But I'm going with Matt Barnes. He's supposed to be the high leverage guy, you know, so he's going to face the heart of the order typically, whether that's in the seventh, eighth, or ninth innings. And uh, the last couple games in a row, it happened to be the eighth inning. We were up by one run in both of those uh, games, and Barnes gave up a solo homer to, or actually one of them might not have been a solo I want to say there might have been someone on base. Don't quote me on that. Nonetheless, two home runs, gave up a couple of leads, and uh, today that actually forced us into extras, almost forced us into Tyler Thornburg having to pitch. So you need this guy to kind of find it. Last year, last August, he had a 9.50 ERA. Terrible month for him. He was only a 5-something ERA in September. But he's not a guy that I really trust. I, I like him more in a situational uh, scenario, I guess. And um, uh, hopefully he turns it around till we can get a minor league uh, reliever up, one of our near major league ready guys. I haven't checked on Feltman, but I'm assuming the time frame for him is probably still around the all-star break. And uh, so I'm, I'm going with him for now. But two games we could have lost, really. But, you know, everything was going wrong. And sometimes luck kind of comes into it. And finally, you know, a little bit of that was on our side where it hadn't been. Everything balances out. So we won the games uh, nonetheless and uh, got a sweep. And we were not expecting that. Jeremy and I ended the last show. Basically, uh, thinking the season could be over, you know, after this series, we thought we were just going to get slaughtered, you know, after getting. Oh, as as did I, as did I. I, yeah. I was in the same exact boat, and my co-hosts were in the same exact boat. We all thought that this season was just going to be another last place finish after a World Series title. Absolutely, and I mean the Yankee series was just ugly, and then Brazier. I don't want to get too much into it, but Brazier gave up that uh, home run, which kind of took game two away from us in that series. So we were just as deflated as could be coming into it. But So, look, Barnes, that's a tough home run. Uh, he, he's got a 2.89 ERA. It's early, I understand. Um, and, I, and I understand that he's a zero. Uh you know, when your team has scuffled and you're in a position you were today, um, you have to do everything you can to keep things rolling. And Barnes was the really the lone hiccup. Um, so I agree 100%. I don't think he's been terrible. The other thing is we, he's going to be here and we need him to be good. Um, so that's just, I guess, all I'll say about that. I agree. One- I'm a Matt Barnes guy. I, I like Matt Barnes. I'm a fan of Matt Barnes. But there's just there hasn't been a long run of consistency throughout his career. So I'm just I'm just hoping where you know we tread water until you know until they come up. And also, if I were Alex Cora, I would have absolutely went to Matt Barnes today, even though he blew it and nearly blew it the night before. I just I still would have. I mean, he had no choice. So. It's just unfortunate he, that it played out the way it did. The only thing that scares me about Barnes is when he's off, he's really off. He, when, he's on, when he's on, 
He blows his fastball by hitters, and he gets hitters to chase his curveball in the dirt. We see it all the time. But when he's off, his fastball is up, and his curveball is not getting swings and misses. And that's why, personally, I prefer Ryan Brazier in a closing situation as opposed to Matt Barnes. But when Matt Barnes is on, I think he could be a good eighth-inning option to bridge the gap to Brazier. I'd rather Brazier win or lose the game for me because I know at least he's going to throw more consistent strikes than Barnes. Then again, who knows? Yeah. To, to take that a step further, um, one is, to me, Brazier's um, composure and the way he just carries himself is better for that role, uh, especially in a big market like Boston. And Which, yep. by the way, it's not lost to me how impressive it is because he came from Japan, came in and pitched big-time innings on, a, on an eventual World Series champion where he wasn't even in major league baseball or like not even in like a major league baseball system like two months prior so i give him a ton of credit uh and a lot of that i liken to his ability to not get too high not get too low now the biggest difference for me between a barnes and brazier because barnes has plus stuff right and i think brazier's stuff isn't as good it's plus but it's not as good and the biggest difference between Barnes and Brazier, besides their composure, is location. It's not just about throwing strikes, Al. For me, it's are you going to locate in the biggest moments? Meaning, um, you know, oh my God, someone who gave up the 0 2 home run? Oh, it was Barnes. <laughs> the 0 2 home run <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> wow, talk about your point, making your point. The 0 2 home Jeremy. run. To, uh, to uh, oh God, now I'm spacing it, uh, Gardner in the Yankees series. It was just a middle middle fastball. Like, it's not good enough, dude. And and Kurt Schilling used to talk about this all the time ten years ago. It, you can't just waste a pitch o two. It's a purpose pitch, meaning it can be a strike or it can be a ball, but it has to be thrown with a purpose. It has to be thrown with the intention of getting it out. And I always love that mindset. It, it it's not just throwing a fastball ninety seven because at the big league level ninety seven in in the middle part of the plate is going to get hit. It's going to get turned around. But if you can throw 96 and locate like Barnes was today, he was up and in on the right, on both right-handed hitters he faced. I thought his location was awesome, and I thought it made the ninth inning really easy as a result. Barnes, on the other hand, will go through periods of time where he's locating middle-middle. And and the crazy part about it is he his stuff is good enough at times where he can get away with it. But there are times where it's just, it, no matter how good your fastball is, you're going to get beat. So, again, just for me, the biggest difference between Barnes and Brazier, and the reason why Bar- Brazier is the clear closer on this roster, is he locates more consistently. I agree, uh, you know, and I, I think the setup right now is about as good as it can be. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully it continues to uh, hold up, you know, for in the coming weeks. Uh, let's get into just the general segment now for the Red Sox. Uh, Rick Porcello, I mean, we kind of went over, you know, I kind of credited Leon for it. But one way or the other, we need him to be the guy he was on uh, Saturday. So that that was kind of good to see. And, and he wasn't walking a ton of guys either. I think it was just one walk, actually. Who I missed? I missed what you... I'm sorry. I'm Tara. sorry. I, I was the... just saying it was nice to see Porcello 
regardless of you know whether we want to credit Sandy or not. It was it was just nice to see him pitch a good game, and we can't you know if we're going to be successful, we need him to be the guy he was in that start. Yeah, I mean, I touched on it in the recap. I mean, I, I changed the uh, the scale from like a zero to ten or like an earned run average to like keep your team in it or not, and he did that. Uh, five and two thirds, six runs, two runs, two earned, one walk. Um, wasn't great, wasn't terrible, uh, but but pitched and and we won the game and that's it's a big it's a it, you know and by the way you can't expect guys that are struggling to just turn around and become Porcello of a Cy Young Award winning year. There are steps that have to be taken. There are confidence that has to be built, and that start Saturday night was a building block for what we hope can be a guy with like a 4-2 ERA because that's what he is other than the Cy Young Award winning year. So I am encouraged by it. Um, And by the way, it's not lost to me that the Rays were the best team in baseball coming into the series. They were beating the hell out of everybody. Um, And and then the other thing I want to just mention briefly is uh, before we move on from this series, as I thought Cora was the better manager when I really have been praising Cash. I thought the decision to pull glass now was terrible um i I thought it was interesting that they decided uh with jbj at the plate because we talked about jbj right he's been terrible um al it was your uh zero for a reason i thought it was a great zero it's a clear zero if you walk uh i'm sorry what was the situation once jbj gets the hit why not walk vasquez and load up the bases with the opportunity for a double play it just seemed to me weird to put, uh, to put, uh, they brought the infield in. It just to me, and I'm not remembering all the details right now as, as as I'm trying to recall this, but it seemed to me in the moment that you'd rather give your infield a little bit more depth. You are the home team, so it's not a do or die play. Like if the if, the, if it is a base hit or whatever, it's not the game's not over. So why not play for that double play? Why not walk? I guess. Um, I'm not immediately recalling who was hitting behind Vasquez, so I guess that may have been a big factor. But one thing I will say, uh, and I'm not doing a good job of it, admittedly, which makes it okay, uh, is that I thought Cora outcoached or outmanaged this series over Cash. Sometimes. To go to your point, Jeremy, I think it was actually Bradley Jr., if you're talking about the game today, I think it was Bradley Jr. that was hitting behind Vasquez because Chavis was hitting seventh. So I'm just, I think that's what the situation was. Don't quote me on that. To go back to your point, Terry, about Rick Porcello, I think honestly it all depends on how his two-seamer is on any given start because everybody knows that that's Porcello's bread and butter pitch, especially against lefties when he's getting that inside corner call. But if he's leaving his two-seamer down the middle and he's missing middle, that's when he gets into trouble, and I think that's why he's had the years that he's had in 2016 and 2018, which were his good seasons, and then 15 and 17, which were off. He located his two-seamer more in those seasons than his other seasons. He was getting ahead of hitters with that two-seamer. And when it's off, and we've seen it off a lot, especially in those off years, like I said, 15 and 17, it gets to be just horrible to watch. And then to go to the Alex Cora comment, I mean... Why would you pull the kid? And Kevin Cash has done some really weird things. He takes relievers and starts them to give his starters a break. And then he t- he only goes through starting pitchers like twice through a lineup. It's just it, stop thinking about the numbers and just go with the feel of the game. If he goes with the feel of the game, 
he probably wins that game today and he avoids the sweep, but I don't know. Yeah, and Glass now, uh, to one of Jeremy's points, he's been phenomenal all year. So, you know, when you talk about Cash getting outmanaged by Cora, sometimes these guys, you know, that, you know, rely a lot on analytics and bullpenning and, and whatever. Sometimes you can overmanage, and and maybe that's a little bit of what we saw today. A lot of Cubs fans complain, uh, you know, about that with with Joe Madden, and you know it, it is what it is. But um, you know, Cora's had patience with a lot of these guys, and credit to him for not panicking. He's been extremely cool, extremely collected, you know, in in every post game, and um, you, you need that. You need that if you're gonna you know, right the ship. So uh, another guy that kind of deserves praising, I almost did him as my hero uh, earlier, is Eduardo Rodriguez. He's had a couple of good starts in a row. He did have 26 pitches in the first inning of his Friday start against the Rays. And I thought to myself, oh, here we go. We're just going to run the pitch count up. And I even tweeted that. I'll be, I was like, we're going to be lucky to get five out of this guy. But he settled down. His control was good. He was really efficient. And he's really coming around as well. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I thought, look, I, it's hard to say that, except for Sale, um, who pitches tomorrow, by the way, that this rotation's not trending in the right way. And that the, the, the sad part was Evaldi was, too. Um, so it looks like we're going to get Velasquez on Tuesday in, instead of Avaldi. Yeah. Um, so the, the 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 commentary is positive on Avaldi, by the way. But the Red Sox have lied to us before, so <laughs> who the hell knows with that whole thing? Um, but by the way, most recently with Pedroia, where they literally said like it's not that bad, and then they DA'd him like. You know, DL'd him like six hours later. So who the, who honestly knows with Evaldi? I like Velasquez in that role. The guy's a competitor. But uh, everyone's trending in the right direction. Um, and the whole thing is setting up nice. It seems like coming into this series, we all expected the bullet to the head, and instead we swept. And now we have a 10-game homestand, starting with the Tigers, uh, with hopefully everyone trending in the right direction, like you're saying. So it gives people hope that maybe we can get back to 500 even earlier than some of us were planning because I think we all thought we are going to get there eventually. It just, you know, maybe it was going to be June 1st, and now it's looking like if this thing goes um, and trends continues to trend this way, I mean, not to get ahead of myself here, but, you know, we could be back to 500 by the end of April, which <laughs> the way this thing started is kind of hard to believe. Yeah, absolutely, and we got a four-game set against uh, Detroit, and they're playing right around 500 ball. I think they got off to a decent start, so we'll get into that series a little more in the preview. And we do have a four-game set against Tampa, so we'll we'll find out if uh, if this current weekend was a fluke or not. And I'm I'm wondering also if if Snell will be in that series as well. But um, Al, any thoughts on Rodriguez before we move on? No, I think you guys pretty much hit the nail on the head. I mean, Rodriguez, the whole thing with him has been just throwing consistent strikes, not getting his pitch count up. He's had that tendency of getting his pitch count up, especially with hitters going 2-2, and 3-2 two, and two to a lot of batters. He's also had a problem, I think it was with his 
his throwing shoulder where he just everything that he throws to a right-handed hitter when he's off is just up and away and he just never seems to make that adjustment but now it seems like he's starting to kind of get into his groove a little bit locating his fastball and his change up and everything else so hopefully rodriguez trends in the right direction hopefully once we get into the preview too later on the podcast we can talk about how sale will probably come around and hopefully get his first win tomorrow night yeah, and another thing with Rodriguez, too, that comes to mind is he just he can't finish, guys, sometimes. I mean, on some of his bad starts, he'll get up 0-2 in the count, and you're thinking, okay, you know, this is working out, and then next thing you know, it's a full count because he couldn't, you know, he couldn't finish off the batter. He had six strikeouts uh, in that start on Friday, so hopefully, you know, hopefully that does come around. Um, next, I guess we'll just talk about Evaldi, and I got a very short list of some possible uh, inexpensive trade options, and we'll we'll talk about the two free agents as well um, before we get to the preview. Um, but for everybody, pretty much knows. But for those who don't, Evaldi was put on the DL. On Saturday, loose bodies in his uh, throwing elbow, which he has had two Tommy John surgeries uh, on. And basically what that means is there's there's bone and or muscle fragments kind of floating around in there. And it's, you know, causing some soreness or whatever. And he had an arthroscopic surgery on it uh, in March of last year. And that delayed him... I think, I think it was three months coming into the season, uh, or maybe it was two. I can't remember. And uh, you know, it's a fairly minor surgery. He, he he would be throwing again in as soon as two or three weeks. But um, you know, given the state of the team being four games under five hundred, that's obviously not you know welcoming news. But. Um, Valdi did say, though, that Tampa took it a little easier with him where he was also coming off Tommy John. So we talk about the Red Sox lying, and granted, they have no credibility whatsoever. Uh, you know, very mixed signals with Pedroia. Very mixed signals with Chris Sale, even, for that matter. Uh, you know, if, if Chris Sale were to say he's going, you know, he went to the hospital last week for a belly button thing, that wouldn't fly this time around because he's absolutely sucking. But anyway, back, back to Evaldi. He himself did say he uh, expects a quicker turnaround. So, uh, Jeremy, what were your initial thoughts, you know, when, when you got the news he was going on the I'm, – I'm still calling it the disabled list. I, I refuse to call it anything else. Yeah. I mean, I, it's been 10 years and I'm still calling the double race the double race. So, I mean, you think I'm going anywhere on the disabled list? I'm not. I'm here to stay. I was running actually, and the 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 MLB alert came in on my phone, and I remember specifically going, "Oh fuck, four year contract!" <laughs> uh, especially because MLB um, put in the put in the alert loose bodies and elbow, and I was like, "Oh, just you know the worst." Then I got back from my run, and I looked into it. This is going to now the third time he's dealt with this. Apparently, Tampa Bay, uh, the Devil Rays, overreacted to it. According to Evaldi, back when he was still a double ray, this happened last year as well, and he missed two weeks. So uh, it seems like something that he's just going to be a reoccurring issue. I, I, you know, it's weird. Um, I've never really heard of this. I've obviously never experienced anything like this. 
he he woke up and wasn't able to straighten his arm and then you know within 12 hours of saying that he couldn't straighten his arm he was saying he expects to be back really quickly so who knows uh but initially obviously panic uh they spent a ton of money on him you terry you and i wholeheartedly agreed that we weren't willing to go anywhere beyond two years then the contract comes in and it's four years and so if something like this does happen this season you're sitting on a really bad contract for three years so we're all just praying basically that uh he gets back healthy especially because he pitched well and he did have a good start in that yankee series and they should have won that game um but uh it sounds like everything's going to be okay they're not overreacting to it velasquez is going to step in who's already he should be extended by the way for 65 to 85 uh 85 pitches to start this is his third start in a row you know starting basically for a couple of different people including the they decided to skip sale and, and go with the six starter there uh, coming back from the West Coast trip. So he should be extended. Uh, Velasquez should put us in a position to win on Tuesday like he has basically every time he's pitched. Uh, but with Evaldi, as far as I'm concerned, the way they're talking, the way they're reacting, the way that they're not, that, you know, they brought up Poynier not a starter and they didn't make a trade or move, make, make a move outside the organization. To me, it's a deep sigh of relief. Uh, and I'm going to take it, you know, week by week until he's back. And then when he is back, I'll see how, how the ball comes out of his hand. Al, what were your thoughts? So I will... So, so I'll say this, and this is probably an unpopular opinion, but as far as the Evaldi signing goes when it happened, I was actually okay with it because the reason I was okay with it was because I kind of saw the free agency market in the next couple of years for starting pitchers, and it was not that great. So the fact that you lock up Chris Sale, and David Price, and Nathan Evaldi for the next three, four years – and you're probably going to lose Porcello after the year is over this year. You might even lose him at the deadline, depending on what you need or how the season's going. And then you also have Rodriguez, too, in the back end of that rotation. That's a pretty good one through four, and you're not going to find many starting rotations in the MLB that have that depth that the Red Sox have. Now, maybe would I have liked it to be two years, like you guys were talking about? Maybe. But I think the fact that, like you guys said, the organization's not worried about it. He's had this done before. They didn't go out and get somebody. So I'm all right with it, and hopefully Evaldi will just come back and keep chucking like he has been for the past about season or so that he's been with the Red Sox. The one thing I will say as my last point on Evaldi, I love his mindset as just a professional athlete. Obviously, the Dodgers' performance in the World Series speaks for itself. But he's exhibited an ability to come back and not make excuses, and then when seemingly there are possibly some excuses in place, he performs well in those circumstances. So um, if this was David Price, if this was a whole bunch of different people, um, I'd have a lot more concern. But this guy's a gamer. Um, he's gonna be. He's he's willing to pitch in circumstances that are, that are not ideal, and uh, for that reason, uh, based on what he's saying. I have some optimism, uh, cautioned optimism, but it's optimism. He always wants the ball. That's the whole thing. He always wants the ball. He proved it in the World Series, and he's proving it again this year, even though he's injured. He always wants the ball, and you can't find that in a lot of pitchers. Yeah, I'm not an Evaldi guy, uh, but granted, I mean, I can't afford to not be an Evaldi guy. You know, he's solid enough that the Red Sox do kind of need him healthy and in the rotation. 
Um, you know, Jeremy mentioned Velasquez. I mean, he should give you a chance to win most games, but I mean, he, he looked pretty good in only three innings. He was three scoreless innings against the Diamondbacks in, in a spot start there. And then did not look very good at all against the Orioles, uh, you know, about a week or so ago. And, um, you know, I just, we, you know, I don't know what to really expect out of Detroit right now. We do have uh, Tampa next. I can't, let's see. He might pitch the final game of that Tampa series, if I'm not mistaken. But um, I'm just not crazy on him. And here's a stat. This will probably be the last time I ever go over this because I have before. But when when Evaldi came to the Red Sox, he was seven innings scoreless against the Twins, eight scoreless innings against the Yankees, off to a great start. Then he went 2.2 innings, 5.5 and a third, basically. Five innings, four innings, two innings, three and a third, three and two-thirds innings. He was six innings against the Yankees, who he just seems to dominate for whatever reason. And uh, then he gave five innings against Baltimore. He looked great in the playoffs because he pitches very well against launch angle type teams, especially when he keeps the ball up in the zone. So, I mean, he parlayed a four-year deal, a massive contract, two more years than what I felt, I personally felt he was worth, you know, basically on a couple of uh, epic starts in the postseason. And then this year, you know, three out of his four starts have not been good. His one good start against the Yankees, uh, which, you know, is is common for him. And I just, it's really, it's just another thing that's not going right. And we, we had a nice pitching alignment this weekend with the Rays. You know, Price has been very good. Uh, you know, Erod's kind of turning a corner. And I think pitches fairly well historically in the trop. And, and, you know, maybe we weren't too high on Porcello coming into the series, but he pleasantly surprised us. Now, with Detroit, we have to see what Sale can do. Hasn't gotten it together, you know, and then we're going to get a Velazquez start here. So I'm just hoping we're, we're going to continue to ride this wave, but we could possibly have some blips, and, and not having Evaldi in the rotation could... <laughs> could make things just uh, a little more turbulent, you know, as we're trying to get closer to 500 here. I mean, yeah. yeah. Look, for me, for me, now it's now or never for sale. All right, he's, he's, he's been, we're, we're now, what, this is going to be the fifth time through the rotation. He's facing an absolutely putrid uh, team. Uh, we're at home. The momentum's gone our way. Um, his fastball's back, or at least it was uh, after the last start. He was popping 96. So, you know, now's the time, Chris. I so, was just, oh, go ahead. Nope, I was done. Oh, okay. <laughs> All I'm going to say is I think this is the start where Chris Sale finally turns it around. Like you just said, Jeremy, his fastball came back in his last start against the Yankees. Granted, did he get the results that he wanted? No. But the fastball was there. The slider looked pretty crisp. And everything else just looked – it looked like he finally found his control a little bit better. And I think even Alex Cora said it or 
it was yeah, it was Alex Cora who said, "Watch next start, the real Chris Sale is going to come out," and I, I have no choice but to believe him. I mean, Alex Cora hasn't really done us wrong so far, bringing us the World Series title. Granted, the start of the season, yes, hasn't been what we wanted, but I trust Alex Cora, so I'm expecting big things tomorrow night from Chris Sale. So the big thing for me was that with the shortened pitching a plan for the offseason based on the extended innings uh, due to the World Series run, these guys just didn't pitch and extend. And I've talked about it on this podcast, so I'm not going to go into a bunch of detail. But that excuse is over. He's stretched out now. He His spring training is over. He should be at 100, 105, 110 pitches. Uh, his, his fastball velocity was back. Now, Here's the key for Chris Sale, because his stuff's going to be good enough, in my opinion. He's located like shit. And when he's thrown strikes, they haven't been good strikes. They've been middle, middle, or in the quarter, the middle quarter of the plate. He's got to pitch at the boundaries of the plate. He's got to pitch up. He's got to pitch down. He's got to make location within the strike zone. And if he can do that, I think his stuff is good enough based on what we saw in New York. New York was okay. It was like, you know, great. His velocity's back. But then he, by the time he got to 60 pitches, his location went to hell in a handbasket. So assuming his he's healthy, assuming his location, uh, his uh, uh, velo is good, now's the time, Christopher. You're past the spring training point. We're all going to forgive this. But you got to locate. You got to locate within the strike zone. And you, by the way, you got to start getting some swings and misses, man. You got to do it. So I, I actually am cautiously optimistic for tomorrow night. I'm excited for the game. I'm excited for what he's going to bring, and I'm excited to play a really shitty team, although we split with the Orioles, and they're basically the worst team in baseball, so we'll see. And they are right around 500, so it's not – I mean, they're not playing too bad. Um, I'm just looking at some of their numbers right now. Their best everyday hitter is uh, Nico Goodrum, and – He's hitting 279, and just not a lot of power here from what I'm, I'm noticing. Uh, you know, they're not really uh, much of a long ball threat right now. And uh, Miguel Cabrera is back, and I'm assuming fairly healthy. Um, he hasn't had a single home run yet. He's hitting uh, 267 with a 350 OBP. He also leads the team in strikeouts, though. Uh, so, I mean, who knows? With Sale, you guys covered it pretty well. I just want to see what he looks like through the second and third time through the order. I mean, that was the big difference in New York. He got through the first uh, part of the order. I think he had six strikeouts the whole game, which was he almost matched his strikeout total for the year. He had eight coming into the game, recorded six in the, uh, I forget how many innings he went, but um but, yeah, so he was punching guys out, showing a little bit of velocity, but he did get knocked around, uh, you know, once they once the second turn through the lineup came up. So who, who knows? I, I'm just – it's just kind of painful. Um, I just want to mention some potential, like, emergency trade candidates uh, with you guys real quick. Uh, I got three names right here. None of these guys are sexy, and the reason why is because we don't really have the trade pieces to go after a big name right now. A lot of teams probably aren't ready to really make a deal, um, you know. But a few of these teams are are in uh, bad shape. So let's uh, let's just get through some of them. Actually, two of them might be with the Tigers here. 
Um, but anyway, uh, first one, Andrew Kashner. Again, not sexy. Career 404 guy. He's uh, got knocked around a little bit. He has started uh, 27 or more starts the last five years in a row. So I guess the attraction here is he's a body you could put in the lineup that will you know eat up some innings for you and kind of hopefully hold the fort down well. Uh, you know, Evaldi is uh, recovering from this uh, little surgery he's about to have. That's one candidate. Another one, and he's with the Orioles, by the way. Ivan Nova, I didn't write down where he was. I thought he was with the Tigers. I guess I'm wrong. Um, White Sox. Oh, White Sox, yes. Okay, it was an AL Central team. And, uh, you know, career 429 guy has pitched, you know, for the Yankees. Uh, most recently for the Pirates, uh, 29 starts the last three straight years, and um, similar to Kashner, a body, you know, you wouldn't have to give up probably so much as even a top 20 prospect, uh, you know, for, for you know, a guy like Nova or Kashner, and, you know, it's just someone you can kind of plug in there, you know, that's on a team that's not going to compete. This guy is with the Tigers, Tyson Ross. Uh, he'll probably be a little more costly. Um, spent 2015, 2016 uh, injured. He kind of started to rebound last year. He had nine starts with the Cardinals. Was kind of a part of that run where they almost got into the playoffs. I think they blew it in the final week of the season. But nine starts, he was a 273 ERA. Currently a 3.38 ERA with the uh, Tigers. Probably a little more costly there, but you know, and, and an injury risk as well. But any of those guys, you know, sound pursuable? No. J- just flat out no. No. I, yeah. If, there, if there's one that maybe you take a small chance on. It's maybe for me, Tyson Ross. I mean, Kashner, especially his years in Baltimore were just terrible. I think he had a season where he was like four and fifteen. I think it was like two thousand fifteen or sixteen. No, and then Ivan Nova, he's not doing anything special in Chicago. I mean, I think he was zero and two with like a right around a three point three eight ERA. I'm pretty sure. It just none of the like you said, Terry. None of those options really seem quote unquote sexy. But I guess Tyson Ross, it's almost like a, you know, pick your poison, best of a bad situation type thing. I'm just not particularly thrilled about any of those options to add on. Yeah, and like I said, we don't really have the means right now to acquire someone that would be, you know, serve, you know, a bigger impact. But let me put it to you this way. We have lost Evaldi for, I'm guessing, at least six to eight weeks on him. I don't know if they've actually given a timetable, but that... Is probably fairly realistic. What if what if Sale has to go on the DL? What if they have to do, you know, a phantom injury on him? And he's going to start also the Tampa series. So he's going to start tomorrow. He's going to have a bigger start later on in the week. What if they have to just get him out of the lineup to basically, you know, do a phantom injury just to work on his mechanics? Then what? You know, Velasquez is up now. Where's your depth at that point? Well, I don't think the Red Sox are looking at it like you are with Sale. Um, by the way, Valdi said something like two weeks today. 
No, no he, I don't think that's realistic. No, he was that's he was throwing within two weeks of the last surgery. I throwing think within two weeks. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I just don't see that the Red Sox are thinking like that on sale. Um, I do think he's healthy, and, and I know that's kind of hard to comprehend because um, his basically his he just doesn't look right. But I think the Red Sox are looking at it honestly. Like, look again, his the throwing program did not set him up for success. He he was not stretched out. He had not thrown enough real bullets, live bullets, uh, to be ready to go. He wasn't, and they did it on purpose. They said, look, we'd rather risk the early part of the year than not have him because he he you know everyone everyone that pitched on that playoff team in the playoffs, ha- you know threw a ton of pitches and a ton of innings that they nor- they hadn't been throwing. So they all said, we're, we're going to abbreviate spring training for these guys, and it, it's showing, obviously. And I think in a month, it's going to be even more evident when everyone kind of gets back to where they normally are. Now, with that said, with the people you're suggesting here, just, I, I can't, I'm, they're not answers. Um, Gio Gonzalez is somebody, te- sorry? They're just temporary solutions. I, I'm not... When and I, 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 I and I understand that, but to me, there's got to be some some young kid who's hungry who can come up and give you a spot start uh, without spending any more assets because we don't have any more assets. But I mean, that's it wouldn't cost. You, you, you and I talked about this last podcast. The idea about moving a veteran to start to build some podcast, some uh, uh, prospects. To me. The one thing the Red Sox have that we're very fortunate about is dollar bills. It's expected that Gio Gonzalez is going to be released by the Yankees as early as tomorrow. He has a $3 million uh, roster. You know, he's, he's being paid $3 million. If he's called up, I think he gets $320,000 per start as a roster bonus, which as you could imagine, will become extremely pricey. And they have options, um, uh, despite the fact that Severino's down and they've had some issues with CC. I've read some into this, and I'm not going to throw names because I just don't think it's necessary. But they have internal options. They actually value over him at this point. Uh, guys that have um, options left, meaning if they call him up, they can send him down without risking their status within the organization. Uh, Gio forced their hand. He invoked the clause in his contract saying, you got to call me up or I'm out. And so tomorrow they're going to announce, in my opinion, that they can either trade him. And I, by the way, no one's going to trade for this guy at the way the contract is built because $320,000 per start at the $3 million base, it's too much money for a guy who basically couldn't find a team a month ago. So I do think they're just going to outright him and he's going to be a free agent. And I think that he will become available and the Red Sox have enough money um, for a guy like, like Gio. And I don't know what he can bring. I really don't. And I don't think they're going to make the move unless they feel like Evaldi's farther away than what we're describing. But that's a guy that's an option. The other thing you could do is go sign Keiko. Um, it seems I don't know what's going on with that, and I'm not going to pretend to know. There's some there's some factor I think other than the fact that because he was provided a qualifying offer, they have to give up a draft pick for him. 
the fact that that guy's not on a roster is it's confusing to me at this point. And I and I do think that if they go Keuchel, the expectation would be once Evaldi comes back, they're going to move Porcello. But those I think to me make those options make more sense than trading for guys who are middling, you know, major league starting pitchers. I I don't think we're getting rid of Porcello. I mean, our depth is is pretty thin, and there there isn't anybody. I mean, I went through our minor league roster, and I mean, best case maybe the kid that pitched well in double A. Um, the hell's his name? Uh, Dar Darwin's on Hernandez or whatever. Um, I I don't know if it's realistic that he could get a call up in mid to late summer or not. But I mean, that's he's the only one relatively close anyway that could you know make a difference. I was just trying to pull up uh, Gio Gonzalez's actual contract. Um, that's a minor league deal, so I think he just simply becomes a free agent. If the Yankees were to put him on the roster, then yes, he gets you know three hundred something thousand a start. And if he were to so if he were to pitch, make thirty starts, that's roughly you know ten million. Um, you know that would be owed on top of the three million dollar base. Um, and he fired Scott Boris today too, so I think he would simply become a free agent, and whoever pays him the most will will end up getting him. He is on the back side of his career. He was, you know, with with the White Sox until he was traded with the Brewers last year. Four seventy four ERA, just wasn't doing much. He did in five starts. Uh, you know, pitch fairly well uh, with the Brewers. Only 25 innings with a 2.13 ERA. He uh, pitched three innings in the postseason and uh, gave up two earned runs, so it was not a factor at all for them. And they, the Brewers got all the way to Game 7 of the NLCS, so very nearly ended up playing us in the World Series. So it's just tough to tell, you know, what you're going to get out of him. I mean, Tyson Ross might be the better option of the two, quite frankly. You know, he, he's a little bit younger. Ross is 31. I, he would cost more prospects than the other two guys I listed. But, you know, I'm, I'm just saying I don't know what to expect from Gonzalez. And also, for what it's worth, Gonzalez is, has a terrible postseason history as well. So he, he would kind of probably most likely just be a temporary uh, solution to uh, the lack of depth that we do have. And you mentioned Keuchel. I'd love to have Keuchel, and I 100% believe it is the draft pick that's holding that up because a dozen teams could use him right now. You know, the Yankees could use him. The Rays could use him, and they have the means to do it. I mean, they have a $60 million payroll, and that's part of the reason why I'd love to see the Red Sox do it because I don't want Tampa getting this guy. I don't want New York getting this guy. But, you know, nobody's nobody's really willing to budge. And interestingly, Scott Boris is his agent, you know, who Gonzalez just fired. Um, so I... <laughs> I don't know. And if Keiko were the guy, he probably would have to be used as like long relief for a while till he got his 
innings built up. You'd have to have maybe Velasquez would pitch the first couple of innings, and then you kind of ride it out for three or four innings with with Keiko. If you remember back to last year, all those guys who signed late didn't do well. You know, Lance Lynn, Alex Cobb, um, Arietta did well. You know, he was the anomaly of the group, and I think Darvish had an injury and just didn't pitch a whole lot. But um, but there, there's some risk, you know, with, with Keiko in terms of, you know, not being too sharp right away. But, uh, Al, what are your thoughts on those last two, Gonzalez and Keiko? If I had to take one, I would take Keiko just because, obviously, he's won a Cy Young Award. And I don't know if you talked about this, Terry, but he had one of the best, like, ground ball rates of any pitcher last year. Once he got by the first inning, he just got ground ball after ground ball. And if you can get a pitcher that can toss you seven innings and get you, let's say, 12 to 15 ground ball outs, then that's somebody you want, especially where he's willing to do a one-year deal as, like, a prove-it deal. Why not take the chance on Keiko, especially with the injury to Evaldi? And like you said, if Sale is really injured, then why not just take the chance on a guy like Keiko? Absolutely. And, you know, and he did say that he's willing to take a one-year deal around the qualifying offer, so that would be roughly $18 million. And I think at this point it would be a prorated deal. So, you know, roughly a sixth of that would come off. You know, so I guess that would make it about a $15 million deal. But that's another reason why it's just absolutely crazy. Nobody's biting on this guy. You know, the Brewers have been connected to him. I think the Padres recently have been connected to him. And they're off to a better than normal start. And they're connected to the Indians. You know, they've been talking uh, trade scenarios about Bauer and Keiko. Uh, you know, so just absolutely crazy. Nobody wanted this guy. And I, back when the Evaldi signing was going on, a lot of projections were were putting Keiko at the four year eighty to ninety million dollar range, and that was only you know thirteen or so million higher than what Evaldi ended up signing for. And I just I would have went Keiko all day on that. He does not have great numbers at Fenway, but you know we've ridden this Evaldi roller coaster for a little while now, and it hasn't been that great. Uh, Jeremy, any any more thoughts on Keiko? I mean, I'm all in on Keiko. I've said that for months. Um, I I mean, the draft pick to me, I don't know, man. They, they're they're not good enough at drafting. Certainly, starting pitchers to not to not go take the shot this year. And the other factor may be that over the the tax threshold. Look. Fenway Park's banged out every night. People are buying the jerseys. They're they're watching Nesson. They're buying MLB.tv. Like, no one wants to hear about money. Like, the fans are going to spend, so ownership should spend. This is a team that's totally stacked. With the way there's the, – with the number of expiring contracts, the thing's going to write itself next year one way or the other. Go get him, especially if he's, he's ready to – get on a roster if at a discounted rate. And who knows what that may be? You know, maybe it's less than a qualifying offer, which I think is 17.4 or 17.8. Like, if you can get him for 15 or certainly less than that, and, and you're going to get 25 starts out of him, hopefully he's throwing. It, to me, it's a no-brainer with the concerns we've had. So, 
I'm all in on Keuchel. Here's a uh, here's a question. Assuming we don't sign Mookie, would you be willing to go two years beyond this year with Keuchel and say, just to make the math easy, say it'd be twenty million a year beyond this current year? You know, would you would you do that, or, or are you just dead set on let's just sign him to a one year since he's willing to do it and and ride it out? I mean, I'd like multiple years with the player. I think he's a good player. I've, uh, two years, three years. Well, first of all, Mookie's not. I, I'm in the camp that Mookie's not coming back. It's so it's over. It's not even a question in my mind. We've right. talked about this. He's he he he's going to want what Trout got. We can't offer that to him and be competitive. Not after we sign Sale. Not after we sign Xander. Not after, frankly, I'd I'd prefer to sign Ben Intendi to the eventual six to eight years at. 18 to 20 million a year to me that's a more cost-effective player um it's bets is gone so if you can get him if you can get, basically if you can get keiko on the porcello money i'm i'm in whatever two three years yeah but by the way no health issues in his entire career that well, i'm aware of. no he has yeah no he's had tommy john once and he had a neck issue the year after his Cy Young, and it okay. Hit, I do recall. I do recall that hindered but, him a but, little. Um, his, his eh. all right, fine. It's still low risk, yeah, though. But, I mean, it's a yeah, low risk. Yeah, his durability is not. It, it's not a systematic issue um, that I recall, anyways. Uh, by the way, Al, you don't know this uh, about Terry, but he loves pointing out when I make a mistake. Um, <laughs> that is not true. I, I, picked up, I picked up a thing or two while being yeah, 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 yeah. I did nothing for that. I promise you. So anyways, look, I'm all in on Keuchel. Frankly, if you get Gio Gonzalez and pay him one, one year... Six million, which I think is what he made in 2017 with the Nationals. Like, do that. Like, but do something. And because we have no assets, and by the way, whatever assets we have, you can't trade them because exactly. I mean, you just can't do it, especially a guy like Chavis. Any arms, like you got to keep. Like, and by the way, Groom ha- hasn't developed to the point where he's some high level prospect. You, 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 we, we can't address, look, the one thing you have, because we don't have prospects that we can spend, the one thing you have is money. You have a fan base willing to spend, the ownership should be willing to spend, the one thing you have is money. So, go get a free agent, if that's what you're going to do. Yeah. I would prefer to not overreact early, and let's see where the chips fall. There's still time, there's still guys available, and by the way, Keiko and Geo and whoever, Kimbrell, they're not going to sign but until their agent calls Boston and, and asks Boston, you want to pay a little bit more? So, and they and Boston knows that, okay? These guys aren't going to sign with the Brewers or whoever else before calling Boston and be like, hey, you want to give us an extra $2 million? We'll come play for you. Like, that's going to happen. So it's not like they're not in the know. It, 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 these guys aren't going to just fall by the wayside without a chance to sign them, so... My opinion, don't overreact to the situation. Let's go beat the fuck out of the Tigers and see what happens moving forward. And the other thing, too, with the prospects that we shouldn't be dealing, you know, we got Chavis up now. I'm not sure if he's going to hang, you know, when Nunez and 
Holt get back. He was 0 for 4 today, though he did draw a walk late. Um, but I eventually, I think he is going to be a middle-of-the-order bat for this lineup. And, you know, everybody's, you know, there's a huge faction of this fan base that that can't accept the fact that Mookie Betts is probably going to be playing for another team in a couple of years. Well, Chavis might be that same guy five or six years from now, the guy that nobody can fathom getting rid of. You know, they have to keep this guy. They have to give him that massive deal. And, you know, and for in the meantime, he's extremely cost-effective. He could give you, you know, I don't want to say Mookie Betts-type you know, production, but maybe Bogarts or Benintendi type production. And that's, we'll take that every time with one of our prospects. So, you know, I, I, you know, if, if, if Dombrowski were to do anything stupid, I don't think he would, but you know, if we lose any of these guys in a deal, (laughs) it would be extremely painful. Chavis isn't going anywhere. He has, he has roster flexibility as far as he could play in a number of different spots. He's he's highly touted. The only thing I, I worry long term is he's a uh, high high effort swing guy, um, a lot like Pedroia was or is, I guess, whatever, however you want to phrase that. Was um, it was agreed. Um, he, by the way, immediately as I say that, here comes all the people attacking me on Twitter because <laughs> um, it was you know that's how that happens, but. Uh, I, I, I like the player. There's no reason to overreact with him. Um, tonight, he was 0 for 4. It, so what? He drew a walk. By the way, he extended the inning that wound up winning it in the 11th. Um, I also thought he read the fly ball uh, that Vasquez hit well and actually tagged to third in an underrated play uh, where if he uh, scores on a pass ball there, that becomes a really big deal. So good little, just a little picking up on the little things. Good base running there. Um, Finally, as long as he doesn't spike himself at second, he can't be worse than Nunez and Holt. And Pedroia is, I mean, I'm done talking about Pedroia, and I also don't want this happening to me overnight. So um, as long as he can field the balls at him, turn double plays, you know, not cost outs by, by poor footwork at second base, uh, and by the way, I specifically sought out and listened to everything he said so far since he's been called up. He's representing himself well. Um, yeah. There's just no like let 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 the man play. Okay. We're, we are our outfield stack catching position solid except for Leon can hit. Uh, the rotations a rotation. The bullpen's a, te- a, a, a weak point. We got veterans at first. We got veteran. We got a stud at short. Uh, Devers. He already has six errors, so I don't know what to say about Devers. But uh, if you're going to give him a spot, let's let's give this guy some leash at second base and see if he can play. Yeah, I think he will get sent back down, though. Uh, you know, at least for another stint. You know, unless he like tears the cover off the ball and forces them to keep him. I just think he he just needs a little bit more polishing, probably at second. And you know that you don't want to. If you mishandle a prospect, you could set him back. So I, I don't think they're going to take too many chances on him. Um, one thing I just want to just jab, and then we'll get to the preview and then wrap. Um, the Pedroia thing has just gotten to be hilarious. I mean, all 
winter meetings, not winter meetings, all uh, spring training. Wow. All spring training, first few weeks of the season. I'm just taking nothing but nonstop shit from these Pedroia huggers saying, you're going to be wrong. You're going to eat your words. Petey's going to be awesome this year. That's what it was during that time frame. And then on April 20th, it's, oh, well, they should at least let him stay on the DL all year and be part of the team, you know? <laughs> like, I've just never seen a group of, of Red Sox fans fold so fast. Well, first of all, they have to. And by the way, Nesson showing that clip of Pedroia standing at third base with Devers, like, pointing at the infield, it makes me cringe. And for whatever reason, it's state-run media. We know that. Like, you say something... In the Nesson broadcast, obviously Eckersley eviscerated on a plane by Price, Pedroia, Bradley Jr. Uh, but if you say something, you're you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble, whether you're on the telecast or in, in print or whatever may be the case. Um, but the fact that Nesson's pressing him as some de facto coach is just so laughable. But anyways... Um, I, Al, do you have anything to chime in here on Pedroia? You're new to the podcast. We're, you know, we're kind of setting our ways with what we've said about Pedroia over the last year. Uh, I think he should retire. I think he should either retire or I think they should try to trade him for, for some sort of value piece. Clearly he doesn't have what he once had. I mean, yes, he was a rookie of the year. He was MVP. You know, we know what he can do. We know he can still field at second base, but there's nothing in the bat anymore. I think in the 20 uh, at-bats he had this year, he had two base hits, no extra base hits. And it just seems like it just seems like he's over the hill in a sense. I love Justin Pedroia. I was rooting for him. I still hope he does well, but you know what? I think it's time to just hang up his cleats for good. And you know what? Why not? Why not go out on a good note? He won two World Series titles as a player. He won a third one without even doing anything in 2018. So why not just go out on a somewhat high note? But you know what? I wrote a, uh, Go ahead, Al. I'm sorry. Uh, I jumped no, on you there. I didn't mean to. No, you're fine. All I was going to say was I wrote an article on Couch Guy Sports about it. It Go check it out. It's the same thing. It's just, like I said, he has – what value does he bring to this team? They won without him last year. So there's just – there's nothing else that Pedroia can really do. So getting the Red Sox Hall of Fame, that's good enough. Hey, Al. Uh do our listeners uh, that are hanging on here a favor. When we tweet the podcast out tonight on iTunes and SoundCloud, do me a, do, do the podcast and yourself a favor and put that the link to your article in the reply. Um, I, as, as just one last final thing on Pedroia, if he retires, there's not going to be a person on the Internet giving him more credit than me uh, because he's owed $40 million. So if he does retire, I'll, I'm going to tell you right now, that to me will be one of the most stand-up, uh, tip-your-cap, professional moves I've ever seen. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I wouldn't do it. If I was Pedroia, I mean, I'd fake every rehab assignment. I, I, would, do, I would do what Ellsbury's doing which is basically just sit at home and flip channels on the recliner and have the team say that he's trying, but we all, like, everyone knows he's not. Pedroia is actually trying to come back. So I give him credit for that. And, and, and like I've said, if he can become any semblance of his former self, I'm rooting for him because we have a huge hole at second base. 
But if he does retire, there you you can't then not tip your cap and say, you know what, I respect the fuck out of you leaving that much money on the table because you know you're done. No modern athlete would do that. I wouldn't do that. If he does do that, I, I'll tell you right now, we'll, Terry and I will do a podcast on just his retirement to, to eat crow and say that that's a stand-up move. By the way, I, I, better, get, it, I better get an happen. invite. I better get an invite that I won't, Jeremy, to get credit. Well, I, and my last point is it'll never happen, so don't yeah. worry about it. <laughs> well, he'll do what A-Rod did the last year or two, and then Prince Fielder. I, I don't know what the terminology is for how he's getting paid or Buyout. What, what his Buyout. status what is. What they'll do is they'll pay, they'll pay him 80, 80, 80 cents on the dollar, and he'll retire, and they'll flat they'll flip it over the course of – you know they'll 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 do some sort of you know thing to save them a little bit of money, but the 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 you know ruse can end and they can get out of the game. And uh, the only true. problem with that is that A Rod um, was faced with obviously the steroid stuff, and with Prince Fielder, he had the the, the you know the um, the neck thing where he if he took one more weird thing, he could like be paralyzed. So there were some extenuating circumstances in the two examples you gave uh, that led to uh, the eventual buyout. But Pedroia is trying, and I don't see that ending because he is kind of psychotic in that way. So, um, yeah. Anyways, look. Okay. Let me give let me give the uh, the probables for the upcoming Tiger series, and then I'm gonna let uh, Al uh, jump in first, and then Terry and I may have some lingering thoughts, but. Uh, so we have a four-game set played Monday through Thursday. All games played at 7-10, which uh, is kind of nice to get into the regular ro- uh, season rotation. Matthew Boyd against Chris Sale tomorrow night. Uh, enough on sale. He's been terrible. Boyd, he's been really good. 2.96, 36 strikeouts. Um, he actually leads the major league in starters in adjusted war. Um, he's tied for the major league lead in strikeouts and he's got one hell of a slider. So, uh, on paper, you'd think Matthew Boyd versus Chris sale, um, both lefties. It'd be a huge advantage for the Red Sox on paper. It's not the Red Sox have not announced game two, but we all know it's going to be Velasquez versus Spencer Turnbull. Who's got a 3.43 ERA with 24 strikeouts. Um, he's got a, He's got a decent fastball. He's a slider cutter guy. Um, I, I this is a game where if the Red Sox can score some runs, and I think they will, Velasquez will give him a chance. And a lot of the way this game goes is determined on Sale in Game One. If Sale's good and can get through six or seven, the bullpen should be ready to help out Velasquez. If Sale's bites a bullet and sucks, and he's out of the game through three or four, uh, Tuesday could be a snowball effect where they, they could start the season the, the series 0-2. I don't expect that, though. Game three is Tyson Ross. He's 1-2 with a 3.38 earned run average. He's an everyman guy. Uh, Terry would like the Red Sox to trade a low-level prospect, a prospect for him. I have no use for this guy. I think this is the, the, the right-handed pitcher who gets rocked at Fenway Park against Erod, who, like we discussed, is trending in the right direction. And then game four, Jordan Zimmerman, um, who's got a track record in this league, 
Uh, he's 0-3 with a 4.94 ERA. Um, he's better than that. He's a good pitcher. He's a, he's a gamer against Rick Porcello, who's not been good except for his last start where he was okay. So it's funny how this, if you just look at the names and career track records, you're like, wow, this is, this is unbelievable. This is going to be an easy series. When you delve in a little bit deeper and you look at the numbers, they actually favor the Tigers. The Tigers lineup stinks. And with the Red Sox trending in the right direction, I really have hope for this series. Al, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, as far as the series goes, I mean, Jeremy, you kind of laid it all out there. The series would favor the Tigers on paper, but you literally just said the point that I was going to say. The Tigers lineup is not as good as it once was. Miguel Cabrera, although he's going to be a Hall of Famer, you know, he's on the, down, the decline of his career. So when you look at this on paper, I think Monday – Red Sox come away with a win. I think Chris Sale gets his first of the year, and he finally puts it all together. On Tuesday, I'm going to give the Tigers that game. I think it's just going to be a game where Velasquez doesn't last very long, and that's just going to be the one game they drop. Then I think they win Wednesday and Thursday. I think Rodriguez, like we talked about, he's trending in the right direction. I think he shuts down that Tigers lineup and has a deep start. Then I think Porcello just outduels Zimmerman. I think Jordan Zimmerman is not what he once was. I think the Red Sox, especially at home, we know they hit better at Fenway. I think they're going to get to him early and often. So I got Red Sox winning three out of four. Yeah, I mean, we got some momentum, which is nice. You know, we're coming off a three-game sweep. Uh, I'm a little concerned about the bullpen. You know, just about everybody's had a, a rough appearance within the last week or so. You know, Brazier with the Yankees, Barnes a couple of times. Brewer, I think, got knocked around pretty good uh, in the last game of the Oriole series, so I'm just kind of hoping, we, you know, we get some stability there, you know, in the last few innings with the bullpen. Chris Sale, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that that's a loss until he gives me a reason to, to, you know, start feeling like he can win because he just, he is what his number says he is so far, which is an eight and a half ERA, you know, and uh, the. Turnbull, Spencer Turnbull, I don't know much about him. As Jeremy said, he is off to a good start. It seems like when we're not familiar with someone, you know, I just, it seems like it doesn't go well. I'm a little apprehensive there, especially where that will be against Hector Velasquez. Um, and then, let's see, uh, my tablet's frozen. On uh in the third game of the set, Rodriguez. I feel okay about that. Jeremy, though, I'd like to just say quickly about Tyson Ross. He had a 326 ERA or lower in 2013, 14, and 15, and then the injury started the next couple of years. So he could be a guy that could be pretty solid, only 31 years old as well. So he's not a guy that I would really write off so far, but... You know, if the Red Sox can kind of pounce on him while he still doesn't have a ton of games under his belt, then that would be great. You know, that's my my favorite matchup of the series, basically. Um, and then the last game with Porcello, you're just hoping that he can, you know, he can kind of hang on. Zimmerman has really been a bust. He was a free agent the same year David Price was. Zach Grinke was that year, and Johnny Cueto as well. And he's just been really hampered by injuries. I don't think he's had a season below a four ERA. And he's another guy where 
if Porcello can just kind of be solid, he only had one walk in his last start compared to five two starts ago. If the control's there, I think, you know, I, I think we got a real good shot to win that game. So I think at best we win three games to one. Realistically, I think we're going to end up with a split here is how I feel it'll go. Predicting these four game sets is problematic, and then when again when you look at the 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 paper matchups, basically, again, you know if you were to go on career, this is kind of a strong lean in the Red Sox. If you were to look at the season, strong league towards the Tigers. Uh, the Tigers are not a good team. The Red Sox will be a good team. Um, win tomorrow. You know, let's get something from Sale. And like I said, this the Sale start is going to have a huge effect effect on the Turnbull versus Velasquez start because if Velasquez needs to go seven because we Sale sucked again and we've got six innings out of the because uh, by the way, Brazier's not available tomorrow. You you can't ask that guy to throw the for the for the fourth day in a row. So you got to go tomorrow. Win without Brazier, who's probably your best reliever. So. We need sale, Christopher. For fuck's sake, figure <laughs> it out. It's the big. If you're a stoolie, it's the big cat meme where he's just screaming, "Figure it out!" At the Chicago Bears, like, <laughs> figure it out, figure it out, Christopher. Figure it the fuck out. Because if you can go six or seven, then I like Velasquez better on Tuesday. If you suck, then Tuesday's a problem, and then the whole thing's up. You know, it could go any. It could go anyway. No one's getting swept. It's not. It's not going to happen. So, um, I, I, I'm not going to make a prediction. I'm going to say that a lot of this series is dependent on Christopher Sale's start tomorrow. You know, another thing I'd like to add. You made a really good point there. With if he doesn't go far, I, I, I only make good points here. You know that. Uh, of course, I do, um, and. <laughs> You you know Brazier a part of the good point you know I feel like I'm jerking you off at this point but um, Brazier won't be available like you said I even question whether or not Marcus Walden will be available as well because he's pitched eight innings in the last two days so um, that's that's I'll tell it. You, he'll be available. Thornburg. <laughs> oh, he'll be available. Of course he will. Uh, yeah, so that that's a very interesting uh, observation, you know, first two games. And I'll tell you what, you know, we just we just talked about what it was like to lose Evaldi. Like, these two starts, you know, are, are going to possibly be consequential to the lack of depth that we have. And we could feel it in its fullest effect over these next two days. So... If Sale comes out again, like Alex Cora insisted that he's going to be great in this next start, then and and, and he he is that guy, then a huge sigh of relief from me, and and I think that'll set the tone for the rest of the series. But um, yeah, so any uh, any final thoughts before we wrap? This has been a longer show than I expected. I really didn't think it was going to last long. Where it was, uh, you know. A sweep, not not much to complain about anyway. But closing thoughts, either one of you, Al. Uh, as far as closing thoughts 
goes. Hopefully the Red Sox build some momentum off this race sweep. And, and uh, let's see if uh, they can win three out of four at Fenway against Detroit. And then hopefully ride that into the race series at Fenway for the next upcoming weekend. Absolutely. And Al, you know what? Why don't you go through your stuff one more time before we do wrap your podcasts and, and where your uh, articles can be found? Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, thanks again, Jeremy and Terry, for letting me on their podcast. I definitely had fun talking socks with two guys that are very knowledgeable about the Red Sox. Uh, as far uh, as my one, stuff goes, one, person, one and a half. So how about one and a half? One, one and a half. How about one and a half? <laughs> I'd settle for one person's more knowledgeable than the other, but you can characterize it however <laughs> <Yeah>. you <laughs> Hey, I've only talked to you for an hour and a half. I can't make that assumption just yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as far as my I stuff, think you can, but go ahead. <laughs> I, I plead the fit. Um, so I am going to, as far as my stuff goes, you can find me on Twitter at Big Al, capital B, capital A, uh, 2793. Uh, if you want to check out any of my articles, you can look them up on couchguysports.com. Check out the podcast. We have a couple up there, including my new podcast with Jared Scally. Uh, into the triangle podcast we talk a lot of red sox stuff just like these two guys do uh also my independent podcast the legends lingo podcast you can check that out on itunes with me and uh tom powder cadmus uh we talk everything from the mlb to a lot of boston sports and we talk about some other things here and there and yeah just check my stuff out and once again thanks for having me on guys so my final thought is that al pleaded the fifth okay (laughs) Now, you can only do that under the Constitution if it's the threat of a crime. And to our listeners, if Al was going to say something negative, the crime would be against one of the co-hosts. So I'm just going to leave that out there. I'm just going to float it out there. There's only one person he would eviscerate to the point where it would come to a crime. So I'm not going to say anything beyond that. But I think Al's taking the pleading the fifth is really the story about what he thinks. So... Look, Al, we really appreciate you in all seriousness. Uh, uh, it's nice to get a, a fresh perspective on the podcast. Uh, I've already followed you on Twitter, your personal account, uh, your podcast. I will check out your podcast. And um, thanks again for stepping in here in a pinch hit role. Yeah, thanks, guys. Have me on any time. Would love to come on again. Yeah, it's been fun. Good job. And uh, I'm sure I'm sure we will before the season's out. Sure. All right. Uh, so I guess I'll cut you guys loose, Jeremy. I'll see you Thursday night, and uh, hope hopefully we'll have more positive, uh, you know, outcomes to these games. So have a good one. Good night, everybody. Night. All right. Episode one twenty seven in the books. Red Sox have a four-game set against the Tigers, all 7-10 p.m. games, so be sure to uh, check those out. And uh, Jeremy, myself, and Liz will be back with you on Thursday. So have a great start to your week. Take care.
Red Sox Nation. It's a carnival.